Welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, the horror podcast that is all so hilarious. We are your hosts. I am Mary Kay. I'm Rachel. And I'm Mary. And on today's episode, we are talking about the impeccable film No Country for Old Men. It's directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, and they adapted it from the novel by Cormac McCarthy by the same name. This movie stars Josh Brolin, Tommy Lee Jones, and Javier Bardem, basically every white man you've ever loved. Although, Javier Bardem, he's Spanish, so... He's white, yeah. But he's got some something. He's Spanish, which is just Spanish. Most Spanish people are white. Not all, obviously, but most. Okay, but anyway, I mean, it's time to step out of the car. I was unusually dark when I lived there. Like, I was darker than most other people. I feel like also the Arabs ran through there, so... Yeah, so there are people who are my, like, my... Are you sure he doesn't have a little bit of Arab in him? Would he like to? (laughs) (laughs) So just to be clear, did you just offer to stick your finger up Javier Bardem's ass? This is a standing offer, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I keep texting him, I don't know. (laughs) Why Why he won't get back to me? (laughs) Because that's the only thing you keep offering. He's like, yeah, let's get together, baby. Let's have sex. And you're like, nope, I just want to stick my finger up your ass. Yep. That's right. It's almost not, it's <laughs> no, not even for real, though, sexual. He is my number one celebrity crush, followed closely by Daniel Day-Lewis. I love him. Uh, I love him. Um, anyway, what's the funniest line in this movie? I can go first because mine is weak sauce, but it it was I did laugh. When uh when they go when Tommy Lee Jones and his deputy go to the the trailer, mm-hmm. and they realize they just missed Javier Bardem, right? Mm-hmm. And the deputy's all hype about like we gotta get this on the radio, and he's like, "What are we gonna, you know, say we're looking for a man who just drank milk?" And his his deputy <laughs> goes, "Oh, oh," and like the like look on his face. <laughs> is like, yeah. Did you notice that's Joey from the Mindy of project? Of course I did because. Okay. I, that's, that's like one of my, my favorite trivias. Like I am the person who recognizes the person from the thing. What about you, Rachel? What do you think the funniest line is? Um, I think for me, the funniest line, cause I'm just obsessed with Javier also. I also really love him in this movie that when they're describing him, they go compared to what? The bubonic plague? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that man is soulless. He is as soulless as COVID-19. Yeah. No, he's no worse. He's as soulless as 2020. All right, Mary Kay. So this line I forgot about because it, she's only on screen for a second. And it's been a while since I've seen this movie, even though I've seen it upwards of 10 times. And um, it's when Shigur goes to look for Llewellyn at at the trailer where the like it's like the management office trailer mm-hmm. and the woman in there with the blue eyeshadow and the beehive says well did you take his trailer and he said yeah where does he work and she goes did you not hear me we can't give out no information and then she like leans over the desk like she's gonna do something about it and then he leaves I was like that's amazing she is my favorite I think that is one of the two interactions in the entire movie where we see Sugar interact with somebody and not kill them right because the only other time I I mean that may not be accurate I'm, I'm asking like is that right because I no it's a few there's a few times because he doesn't kill obviously the the guy where he flips the coin he doesn't kill her right. and he it, doesn't kill the little boys at the end okay that's true 
I mean, that we've seen um, so but far. But it's still uncommon. So I thought one of you was going to do the bubonic plague quote. So my <laughs> backup was when they were like, you got a bone sticking out your arm. And then, <laughs> and then he was like, and then they, one, of, one of them said it again. Yeah, That's when it became. freaked out. <laughs> Shoot, mister, I'll give you my shirt. <laughs> I love that. So when I was teaching this movie, which I did every chance I got to uh, English 1102, because it is, like I said, impeccable. The part that tripped them up the most was the ending. So I thought maybe we should just walk through it plot-wise of like what exactly happens because it all happens real fast at the end, like crescendos. So what's the part that you remember last? The last time a thing happened, which was the children. I know that's not totally accurate. I don't, I really don't know. the. the end. I watched it twice, but the end is kind of a wash to me. I'm just like, it is. it felt like the movie ended for me with Sugar, like running away from the kids. Yes. Basically, that's what happens, right? Like he, so you see Tommy Lee Jones pull up to the hotel where Llewellyn has run away to after Carla Jean has been like, this is where he is. I'm scared for him. Finally, right? Like she's not snitching. And then he shows up and he sees the Mexicans which is what they're called in the movie, I'm not being gross, um, just peel out of the parking lot, right? And, like, a couple of them are running behind the pickup, and they hop on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see Llewellyn lying dead in the hotel room. Right. Because the Mexicans came in, shot him to death, and took the money. Right. So they're the ones who end up with the money. They have, well, they have reclaimed what they had at the beginning right. of the movie, right? Accurately? Right. Yes, yes. okay. Just making sure that um, he got the money from where I thought he got it from. There were a couple yeah. points where I was like, did I have to know this already or should I be figuring this it's, out? It really is like, there's no fat on this movie, even though it is super long. Yeah. I feel like. Because it's all like, if you're not, it's kind of like The Godfather, right? Like when you, unless you are like eyes on the screen the whole time, you're going to miss something. Yeah, I'm. Well, the Godfather. Well, for that one, it's the names. They all sound the same. Yeah, no. I mean, it's, so. it's a large cast, and you do have to keep track. The relationships in that film matter very much. Here, I was like, well, first of all, it took me a second to be like, oh, there's never going to be a relationship among any of the main characters, except between like, you know, Carla Jean and 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 Llewellyn because they are married. Well, Carla Jean has an interaction with all of them. She does, but I. But I was like, I, okay, I get it. Like that's gonna be the, the that's the shtick, right? That's the mm-hmm. that's the hook here, is that right. we're gonna do this multi lead movie, but the leads never even interact. They're all playing cat and mouse. Okay, <laughs> cool, got it. Um, so they but- do interact though. Like they they don't ever really have conversations. I mean, they do, but not often. Uh, but it's a chase movie. Like it's noir. It's supposed to be scary because they're all chasing each other for different reasons. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, so I'm saying, like, I, I was like, okay, I get, I get what's going on here, and and the yeah. Cohen brothers have talked about this, right? That they were like, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the point for us. Like, that was that was the part of the fun, the puzzle was that they're not actually gonna, like, we're not gonna get these people on screen together. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were definitely some times where I was like, okay, someone could have said. I think it was a lot cheaper to do it that way, too. Probably. Um, <laughs> you don't have to pay two stars at the same time. Yeah. No, I was like, okay. But maybe a couple times one of them could have said two words instead of one word, which, again, was part of their, like, fun and puzzle was like, no one's going to fucking talk the whole time. It's going to be a silent movie. I like that. And I, I know it's 
I feel like this is a big hit among like, and this is an overgeneralization, but like man's men or like men's men, they really love this movie because it has a lot of nuance to it, but it also has those themes of like violence and the West and pure evil and shoot them up. And yeah, it has all of those elements, but I think it works together really well. Uh, Mary was doing the hand job sign. Listeners, I actually I was saying I that. actually wasn't, but I love that she assumed that. I was just twirling my finger like a whoop the fucking oh. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I saw. But then when she said hand job, I'm like, <laughs> my bad. I assume the worst. Um, well, anyway, so that's that happens in the hotel room. Um, so we're, we kind of wonder when Shigur shows up. We are led to believe he shows up before Tommy Lee Jones mm-hmm. comes back. Mm-hmm. But after he gets there. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of ambiguous. And then um, I think... I think I'm getting these events in, in the right order, but Carla Jean shows up and Ed Tom Bell has to give her the news that Llewellyn has died, um, which he doesn't do on screen and which I think is amazing acting um, all the way through, but especially that. Uh, is he telling Carla, isn't yeah. she dead? No, he tells her that beforehand. And then she dies. She shows up to the crime scene. He takes off his hat. She starts crying. Cut to next scene. Okay, so, but then she dies. She does die. Well, not on screen, but yes. I mean, I, that's how I interpreted him checking the bottoms yeah. of his boots, because he's so fastidious. Right, right. okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, and I, I'm kind of starting like tw- 25 minutes before the ending, because they all crescendo, and you kind of have to figure out how mm-hmm. they're related. Mm-hmm. Um so, and again, I might be getting this out of the out of order because we do jump back and forth so much. But Ed Tom Bell, the sheriff, Tommy Lee Jones, has a conversation with another sheriff. Mm-hmm. And they're both just like, oh, the world has gone to hell. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the dismal tide. Which, by the way, were the first words out of my mouth when I walked back into my apartment to see str- sprinkler water coming from my air vents and light fixtures <laughs> I just said, it's the dismal tide. I grabbed my shit and got out. Um, By the way, y'all, listeners, my apartment flooded last week. I'm in the apartment next door. And yesterday, when I came home from my power being out for no damn reason, um, the fire department was also here for another flood. Oh, God. (laughs) It is, in fact, the dismal tide. Where was I? He goes to visit Carla Jean at the funeral. Sugar is just in there. And she walks in and she's like, I knew that was you. Mm-hmm. I knew you were going to be here. I knew you were crazy. Um, I and need then to sit we're, down. Yeah, I need to sit down. And he's like, okay, you're going to die one way, whichever way. Uh, and then they have a conversation, which I know we're going to talk about later on. Mm-hmm. On the, leaving Carla Jean's, right, um, someone runs a red light Hit. and T-bones him. And then the little boys come up. Mm-hmm. Because they see the wreck, and they see that his arm's broken and his eyes busted and everything. Mm -hmm. And they help him out. They want to help him. And he's like, just don't tell anybody you saw me. I was gone when you got here. Yeah. And they're like, okay. And then he walks off into the night. (laughs) Like, that's really the last we see of him. And then we cut to Tommy Lee Jones going to his uncle Ellis's house and talking about the dangers of of the job. And how it's always been dangerous, but it keeps getting more dangerous. Mm -hmm. And then he goes home, 
And then his wife is like, so you're retiring. I can tell you're bored as fuck. How did you sleep last night? You mean like, Jesse Pinkman's mom? Dreams. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I had some dreams. And she's like, tell me about them. And he's like, no, I'm embarrassed. And she's like, just do it. Damn, I'll be polite. Yeah. And then he tells her the two dreams that he has about his father going on and carrying the torch ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And then he wakes up and then their credits roll. That's the ending. Mm-hmm. It definitely I, seems very postmodern ending to me. I, Shigeru's ending was really satisfying to me and that he comes out of nowhere, he disappears into nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like from the, the opening really frames of the opening scene of the movie, we see him like picked up on the side of a highway with an oxygen tank. And you're like, what the hell? Right. Um, so I kind of like the idea that somewhere, you know, down the road, he's about to be picked up in some other weird scenario or he's going to go mm-hmm. steal another car, whatever. He's going to disappear like he does. The um, the conclusion of Llewellyn's story for me was a little like. We didn't even get to be here for none of it. Damn like, it, Grandpa. What did you even tell me this story for? Yes. Oh, my God. I just, what? What? Um, and same for Tommy Lee Jones. I was like, oh, well, the thing I was trying to do, I failed at. Over. See, I feel like his he, he was the protagonist the whole time. Really? Yeah. I, I felt so. Well, we start and finish with him. Yeah. We start with his voiceover and we essentially end with him on screen telling a story. Mm. And he's the one who goes through the change. The other two characters don't change. Oh, I didn't think about that. I think the real hero of this movie is that one dog who got shot and was like, fuck this and ran away. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like the guy who like, uh, he bought a shirt off of him and he's like, okay, now give me the beer. And the guy with the beer says, how much? Yeah, asshole. Um, I actually, I'm glad you brought up those guys because I think, um, and I'm kind of getting ahead of where we wrote it in the outline. That's fine. But I kind of think that one point the movie is trying to make is paraphrased by Nelly on The Office saying, that's what America is all about. It's just random. And because Llewellyn, when he has his scrape with death, is met with, like, total resistance, right? Like, they're like, no, I'm not giving you my jacket. No, you can't have my beer. Give me all the money you have. They're Mm -hmm. almost robbing him, right? Mm -hmm. And then he has to pay the mariachi band to take him to the hospital. Yeah. um, When he is almost dead. Yeah. And then when Shigur has that same scrape with death, the little boys come up and they're like, you can have my shirt. Like, this is a lot of money. Are you mm-hmm. sure we can't call someone for you? Like, they're just so eager to help him. Mm-hmm. And it's random, right? Like, that that to me was the biggest jump scare in the movie is when that car rushes through the red light. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I, I noticed, like, those kinds of juxtapositions also. Like, I, I didn't feel like they were random. I felt like they were, it was kind of showing, like, a, like a compare-contrast. Mm-hmm. Like okay. for each different person, and I think it was also kind of ironic that um, not that Llewellyn was good in the way for you know taking the money and running, but just like a just neutrality versus yeah. or maybe like a neutral good or chaotic good. I don't know versus like chaotic evil, like yeah, you know um, yeah. But he's totally. the one who gets treated the kindest in this movie. Like he was pretending that he struck. What, like in the end, 
yeah. before um, with, the, with the chickens and, then, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> he's pretending that his truck is, and then the guy was so nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and Llewellyn something is just met with the exact opposite the yeah. whole time. Something that rings real true to me about Texas in general, right, is this this kind of total embrace of both like destiny, like my ancestry mm-hmm. and my my my. It is the best destiny. country in the United States. <laughs> it is. So I'm told. So it's it's a very oh real proud. Texas is real proud that it used to be its own country. So on the one hand, there's like manifest destiny and conquer the mm-hmm. land. Like I was born to do this, and it's also. I mean, a lot of Texas is real harsh country, and the yeah. and the parts that aren't harsh to farm flood every fucking winter. You know, like not winter, it's mm-hmm. springs, right? But like, um, so there's this this holding of that duality, right? Like, I was born to do this, and also everything could happen to me or come crashing down around me, or I could strike oil, or I could be swept away in a tornado, right. and I will have no control over it. And both right. of those things are held with equal mm-hmm. like firmness. It's very fatalism. <sighs> Like, what's going to happen will happen. I got to make my own destiny. But if it doesn't work out, it just wasn't meant to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I yeah. I can, I can control my fate, tornado. <laughs> Take me. I'll, I'll <laughs> screaming into the void about how powerful you are while the void just sucks up your voice and runs off with it, you know? Um, In my head, I pictured the genie, the evil genie Jafar getting sucked back into the lamp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I pictured. That's appropriate. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah, no, Texas. Um, you know, I, I lived there for a while, but even just visiting the Texas State History Museum, and you walk through, like, the way they've arranged it so that as you walk through, like, history is kind of unfolding as you go. By the end, I was like, well, geez, no wonder it's like this. Yeah. This this place is, this place is ridiculous. How did all of that happen? <laughs> It is totally ridiculous, and it also is fucking huge. Like huge. when I taught, oh, God. There, I taught, I taught there two summers, so I've driven to Texas a total of like four times, mm-hmm. and from from Atlanta or from outside of Atlanta, and and I was clocking my miles, and my friend Ben was riding with us. Actually, Ben, who was our guest on Alien, on oh, that cool, episode. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was riding with me because uh, we were both going to go teach there. Uh-huh. And uh, when we crossed the border into Texas, he said, oh, that's hilarious. Like the exit number, because they're marked uh, west to east, I think, mm-hmm. on the interstate, is higher than the miles we've driven already. So like the wingspan of Texas is bigger than the distance from Georgia to Texas, <laughs> which is nuts. We lived in Austin, right? So if we drove out to see all in Atlanta, most of the drive was getting, most of the drive was after, Texas. not not quite, because you know we came through Houston usually, so us to Houston wasn't too bad, and then it, so it was it felt pretty well broken up as we tra- traipsed state to state. If you are going west, like to where I am in Phoenix, the majority of the drive is Texas, and West Texas in particular, which is where this movie is set, right, has a real specific mm-hmm. iconography, like among Texans. That is, that is the place where nothing is. That's the, that's not the country for old men. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) No, you say you're from West Texas and everyone's like, oh God. Yeah. Like, there's just nothing out there. You have to like plan your drive around the fact that they're, like you are going to go for a four hour stretch without even a gas station. You know, like it's just, it's just expansively 
empty. You won't see animals, you won't see vegetation, you won't see water. So nobody settled out there except the hardest motherfuckers you've ever seen, and they're all still out there. Their families are still out there, you know? Yeah. Um, that is a nice segue into talking about Shigur. Um, Rachel had some hot takes about him. I don't know if y'all listeners heard her go, <laughs> but she did. <laughs> well, you don't like them when they come murderous and, uh, no, you know that I do. <laughs> you know that I do. I'm really trying to outgrow that. Yeah. When we did that episode, the episode about what lies beneath, I'm like scrolling yeah. through my entire like list of hot dudes. And I was like, God, all of these guys are kind of scary in some capacity. Yeah, they could all crush your skull like a walnut. One yeah. that's, that's the dream. <laughs> um, well, what were you going to say, Rachel, about Shigur? Well, it depends on which part are you referring to. The part about how he makes this movie scary, but also makes viewers horny. Or are we talking about... Yeah. The, about oh, okay, yeah. So um, <laughs> I felt like watching this movie, um, like this man... He is the movie it follows. Oh, for sure. Great. Because yes. Not <laughs> That's only, exactly right. <laughs> not only is he following you this whole time, and it's terrifying to the one being followed. And not only is he, you are going to get God by him, but also the entire time you're a little horny because <laughs> and it follows it's always like around sex like if you have sex then it's yeah. gonna come follow you so it's always like there's always some sexual tension and this man just exudes sexual tension for some reason what is it is it the dead eyes is it the, i think it's the voice is it's it, his voice his, it's only his voice, voice. It's, it's the hair. It's not only his voice. He, this motherfucker's walking around like fucking Inspector Gadget with his little oxygen tank and the dumbass <laughs> haircut. And here I am, like, like I got, like, you know, Hurricane Katrina between my legs. <laughs> I feel like we watched very different Inspector Gadget. <laughs> oh, yeah, I watched, a really, I watched the really kinky Inspector Gadget, okay? The one. Rachel's <laughs> one said, go, go, Gadget penis. <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing. You you listed his hair among the sexy things, and no. Who did? Rachel, just now, she just said it. That is the entire point of that hairstyle. Like, the Coen brothers went for the absolute weirdest thing they could find. They showed him the wig, and Bardem said, oh, great, I'm not getting laid for four months. In his Oscar speech, mm -hmm. he mentioned that hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, he definitely had some feelings about getting that role. Like, he thought it was interesting, but he said, okay, well, I don't speak English well. Um, I don't like violence. That's not true. It might have been or more, maybe more true at the time, yeah. I don't yeah. speak English well. I don't like violence. And what was the third thing? And they said, yeah, perfect. And he was like, oh, oh okay, then. Um, yeah, no, he hadn't. He hadn't done a, a tremendous amount of English language acting at that point. Most of the stuff he was best known for was in Spanish. I have one last comment I want to say about this hair. Okay. Okay. Listen, the Beatles all did it, and you saw those girls screaming their heads off running after them. That's all I got to say. Again, I don't think the hair was the incentive to chase them. I think that they were chasing them in spite of the hair. <laughs> in spite of I, So I don't. I do think it's the voice that mm -hmm. makes him sexy. Yeah. I'm a very vocal, I'm a, voices are important to me, 
as a human woman. We've talked about this at length from The Witch. We had both Black Phillip and the daddy. And there was another one, too, where I was like, this voice, though, y'all. I can't remember who it was now, but it's a thing. And I think it comes out, too, especially in that coin toss scene, Mm. which is so iconic. By far the longest he talks in the movie. It wouldn't have, he wouldn't have spoken at all. He's just saying, like, how much does it cost with the gas? Mm-hmm. And the guy says, are y'all getting rain up your way? And he's like, what? Like, he just intimidates him. And when I taught mm-hmm. this in a creative writing class, I had my students read it aloud. And then before they even finished it, they were like, what is going on? Why is this so scary? And yeah. I was like, he's trying to intimidate him mm-hmm. by saying, like, you don't know who I am and you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think that's a really, that scene is so powerful, I think. And I love when people, I mean, I don't get it that much anymore because I'm not really meeting any new people, but uh, listeners who are just tuning in for the first time, I'm pretty ethnically ambiguous. So when strangers will be like, where are you from? My favorite thing to say is, what business is it of yours where I'm from, friendo? It's my favorite thing. <laughs> Do you also pop a candy into your mouth? Just a handful of cashews and then choke on them and be like, you you married into your wealth. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way of putting it. That's the way it is. Oh, my God. So, and you know, I was watching that scene and I was like, ah, oh, cool. I want, like, I don't know what Cormac was thinking when he wrote this, but got to imagine he's not reading a lot of DC comics because this is Harvey Dent slash Two Phases entire mechanism <laughs> which is he encounters somebody gets what he wants out of them and then flips a coin yeah <laughs> i i i doubt that that i think that was probably independent invention mm-hmm. i agree i think people have probably do it, been doing that since the beginning of time <laughs> no i mean i again i i agree independent invention i mean harvey harvey dent slash two-face would ex- have existed before this book, to the best of my knowledge, but I don't, I, yeah. I, have, I have not actually looked that up, listeners. So please, I'm sure he did. all seven yeah. white dudes who listen to this show, come correct me on social media about comic books. But, um, you know, we might have more white dude listeners to this episode because this episode is very appealing to white male viewers. And I don't mean that like it is in any kind of bad way. It's just like that's the key you know, demographic. It's nice to see yourself up on screen. It is. Right? And, mm-hmm. you know, we're gradually approaching a future in which white men won't won't have that the way they're used to, you know? So it's good that they <laughs> have not these... what I was saying. It's good that they have these bastions of culture to look back to and say, there was a time, you know, when I was on screen and it was beautiful. But you know what? Tommy Lee Jones is beautiful on Josh screen. Brolin is beautiful. I'll take Tommy Lee Jones. I don't care. Old, fat young mm-hmm. skinny fit oh. I, i'll take him whatever all whatever. these all these guys are delightful i mean woody harrelson i love them woody harrelson even like oh talk sure. about a man who just like eggs that's bde that's bde woody harrelson has bde oh for sure yeah, yeah for sure for sure big time but yeah i just i got, a, I got <laughs> a little... the dictionary next to bde is just a picture of woody harrelson <laughs> <laughs> no i just i got a little kick out of that because i was like man yeah. you know that's but that's, it's scary in the comic books. That's the entire, in the books, the movies, like that's the entire point. That character is especially terrifying because whatever his agenda, like there's that little bit of chaos. There's that little bit of randomness to what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that introducing that in that moment 
gives us a new information about sugar and that he's this isn't it really cements that this isn't personal right it yeah and just while we're talking about carson carson wells right that's woody harrelson's character's name when sugar follows him up to his hotel room Mm -hmm. and he's like by the way that shot of him getting shot is beautiful with the feathers coming out of the back Mm -hmm. of the chair and everything yeah um but I love how that conversation is so macho, right? Like he, Shigeru is saying you, you should accept your situation. There would be more dignity in it. Mm-hmm. And then and then Carson Wells says, do you have any idea how crazy you are? And he goes, you, you mean the nature of this conversation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, no, I mean the nature of you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you are nuts. I love that interaction so much because... I don't know. They are such stoic characters. Like they are, they're most of them. Their yeah. emotions, yeah, are so, or all the men pretty much. Yeah. Their emotions are so repressed. Like they get shot and they just grunt and then they mm-hmm. dig out the buckshot with tweezers. Oh, he didn't even like grunt. Are you kidding? Something I've been thinking about a lot lately, not just this movie, but overall lately, is like this can't be realistic. Like, I know it's not realistic. We know we're watching movies, but every so often somebody gets shot or whatever. And I'm like, I just have to believe they would not walk away. <laughs> well, when, it's, when it's from a shotgun, you know, it depends right. on the pattern. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's, it's something I've been, I've caught myself thinking about a lot lately. Like just, I'd never really cared or thought about it before. And lately it's been kind of a fun preoccupation to be like, hmm, what is the likelihood of this in real life? Hmm, what would actually happen? But yeah, oh, so Woody Harrelson, we're talking about him. Uh, you know that whole um, bit about the person who shot the judge? Someone's referencing a murderer who shot a judge. And Woody Harrelson's father, in the year before this movie is set, did in fact murder a judge. Oh. Because he was a hitman. What? Yes. Woody Harrelson, like actually Woody Harrelson's daddy was a hitman? Mm-hmm. So he just like inherited that like BD energy, but just put it towards a completely different He used path. his powers for good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, we don't know that his daddy had that. His daddy might have been a whole whole ass weasel. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. A whole ass weasel. Listen, if you're going to be a hitman and be a good hitman, you know they got BDE. It makes me sleep better at night to think that if there's a hitman out there looking for me, he's more uh, scummy than swanging. You know, that that's why I'm gonna tell myself, even if it's not true. Anyway, so let me yeah. ask you a question. Mm-hmm. You're a hitman. You 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 go home and there's the hitman, and you know he's here to kill you. Okay. Would you ask him? Can you at least blow my back out before you do this? Or no? Rachel, that sounds like a specific to you type of question. <laughs> I think it might depend on the hit man and the nature of the murdering. Um, like, what did I do to deserve this? Who has put this hit out on me? Is the hit man cute? Can you get information about out of him? Can you kill him first? Could I smother him with my thighs? Probably. I could for sure kill someone. Ooh, plot twist. You got the, um, what's it called in, uh, teeth? Dentata. Oh, yeah, vagina, vagina dentata. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love that. Love when that comes in handy. 
I'm not saying it wouldn't occur to me. So yeah, maybe Rachel, that's going to keep me up now. (laughs) Okay. So we wanted to talk about some characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, We started talking about Carson Wells. He has a smaller role. Very well done, I thought. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, the guy who they all work for is in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Charles Boyle's dad. He was in True Blood. So in the early seasons of True Blood, there were some moments Mm -hmm. that I was like, as pulpy as this shit is, that performance, like that person is, Mm -hmm. is doing it. And he, he was one of those people. He plays a man who was turned, like, you know, th- that was shot, you know, probably 10 years after this. So he plays mm-hmm. someone who was turned when he was already older. So mm-hmm. he doesn't get to be like a young, hot. Well, this movie came out in like 2008. Yeah. So this was, the, the, so mm-hmm. didn't True Blood start after that? I don't think so. But regardless, um, his his character is really good in True Blood. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's this very, like, this kind of pitiful, like it's very, it's just heartbreaking because mm-hmm. so many of these other vampires are living this like very young, glamorous, sexy life. And he actually didn't want that. He just, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. So I, he was one of those characters that I was like, oh my God, it didn't hurt that he had scenes with Nelson Ellis, rest in power, mm-hmm. yeah. um, who was also giving one of those performances that holy shit. Right. So yeah, I love this. Guy. I thought he was also that guy in office space was like yeah mm-hmm. so when this is gonna sound so awful but when he was like i knew i knew it as soon as i saw him but what but this is gonna sound so awful but when he was killed and he was like kind of convulsing i was kind of like seeing him go like <laughs> i feel so bad at saying that but i was like there's here's the safer guy again uh, all this to say Stephen root we love you you are doing the Lord's work every single time you step in front of a camera. We, we love have bought you. bought you to death in every single one of these roles, even as as different as they all are. We have loved you in all of them. You are killing it. We hope you get cast in absolutely everything forever and make a billion dollars. A billion. Billion. Okay, back to two million dollars. Sugar, I know we have already talked about him at length, but I want to talk to talk about him a little bit as a character mm-hmm. in the scheme of the plot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, he's identified in the beginning as the prophet of darkness. And we did say already, like, he just has no emotions. He has, he goes dead behind the eyes. Like, mm-hmm. he, and then uh, Llewellyn is making fun of him, saying, like, what's this guy supposed to be, like, the ultimate badass? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be scary because not only does he not care that anyone else has feelings, but I'm not so sure he has feelings. And that is scary because even sociopaths have feelings. Well, we see that he experiences disgust. Pain. Pain, right? But, like, disgust, right? Or contempt. That's true. In the, yeah. in the gas station scene. Well, that's actually... And he tells him about dignity. That is okay. that is an indicator often... Um, in like in mental health that somebody if somebody can access disgust and contempt but much more readily than other emotions that's um kind of red flaggy for a number of conditions including uh, like narcissism mm-hmm. in which well for sure he's that in which case he would have feelings they just you know well we're all seeing this play out on a national scale at the moment so you know that yeah. <laughs> that um so yeah, this I, I 
I felt like he might have some feelings, but they don't include empathy. So he doesn't. That makes sense. So if something disgusts him, he ends it. Mm-hmm. And he can move on without any concern, you know? But yeah. he's a, a bunch of, um, actually a bunch of mental health practitioners were surveyed about um, depictions of mental illness or um, mental health conditions in in film. And he was mm-hmm. voted like the number one most accurate representation of a psychopath. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. I mean, not cool, but I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a cool fact. It's a cool, it's cool that they took the time to do that because there is so much misrepresentation. There's so much shitty representation, right? Um, in movies, so and and TV. So, I, I it's definitely something I want to read more about. I, I looked it up and found out about this, and all for the sake of recording. But then I was like, all right, let's bookmark this so I can come back to that. Yeah, and I I want to compare him to. Sheriff Ed Tom Bell, because like I said, he's our protagonist, but it seems like he's opting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to just, I, I, they paraphrase this part in the film, but in the book it says just a little bit more. So I wanted to just share that. I sent one boy to the gas chamber at Huntsville, one and only one. Same as, um, I think they change it to the electric chair in the movie because it's more historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks about, that evil man that he sent to that admitted he had no soul right mm-hmm. um and it wasn't nothing to compare to what was coming down the pike and then at the end of that first chapter he says somewhere out there is a true and living prophet of destruction and i don't want to confront him mm. i know he's real i have seen his work i walked in front of those eyes once I won't do it again. Mm-hmm. I won't push my chips forward and stand up and go out to meet him. It ain't just being older. I wish that it was. I can't say that it's even what you are willing to do. Because I always knew that you had to be willing to die to even do this job. That was always true. Not to sound glorious about it or nothing, but you do. If you ain't, they'll know it. They'll see it in a heartbeat. I think it is more like what you are willing to become. And I think a man would have to put his soul at hazard. And I won't do that. I think now that maybe I never would. And I think that that is just the exact opposite of sugar. Right. Right. Like he he knows that that's something that, it, it, that this kind of evil requires. And he's just like, I'm not going to fall on that grenade. Like I'm just, yeah. I'm not going to do it. And I've never been willing to do it. And I think that's why at the end he's he has that dream about like I need to retire because I know that I'm not cut out for this. Mm. Um, and he says maybe his dad what I think that's what he's realizing is like there's a line of men who were cut out for it, and he he's the one with the most humanity because he tries to save Llewellyn, yeah. even though he has stolen two million dollars, he still is like we got to go save this good old boy. He just doesn't even know what kind of people he's in He's in it with. Right. And there's also the element, too, of, like, how we each, like, value different kinds of immorality on our personal spectrums. Yeah. Like, for mm-hmm. the sheriff, like, well, he found $2 million in the lap of a bunch of dead dudes. Right. Who wouldn't take it. I, 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 bet, I, can, I bet I can talk him out of it. I bet I can set him straight. And for other people, that might be more of a, like... Why were you creeping? Like, for me, the, the really upsetting thing, there isn't even the taking the $2 million. It's like, you crept around 
a bunch of corpses and you didn't report it. You ran into a man who was still alive. Yeah. And you, you could, I'm glad it eventually bothered you enough to go back out there, but you could have done something immediately and you, you yeah. didn't do that. Yeah, and I think that that is what sets Llewellyn between these two polar opposites. Like, mm-hmm. he, it's his soul that they're fighting over, but our protagonist is Ed Tom Bell because he realizes in himself that he's like, no, I would never do that. Like, I just, I don't have that in me. Yeah. And he looks at it like as a failure almost, which says, I mean, basically, Shigur is toxic masculinity personified. You know, it reminds me, too, like of the way you've talked about like, getting out of mental health when you did, where you were like, yeah, I did it for a year. And like, you know, there are some people who are supposed to do this and it's not me. Bitch, did you just compare me to Sheriff Ed Tomba? <gasps> yeah. I knew we were best friends for a reason. Yeah, you're just you're less wrinkly and you have a different ac- well, yeah, you, you. you have a Georgia accent <laughs> instead of a Texas one. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like that, that I've, I've heard you say that many times. Like we've had when I we would talk when I was still working at mental health and you'd just be like, girl, I don't know, man. Like I couldn't like I love those kids, but I couldn't. There's no way I keep doing that. Like I can't sustain that. Yeah. Listeners, uh, I uh, Mary and I know each other because we both did a 10 month AmeriCorps term. And then Mary went on to have. A career in mental health afterward and I got out immediately and this year 10 years later put out my first book and wish that I had dedicated to dedicated it to those kids because that still haunts me so yeah I just I didn't have it in me I think it takes a really special person to be able to like go in and save people and I'm not that person um, and I think that that's kind of what we we see in the conversation with um, Ed, Tom, and Ellis towards the end. Um, Because, you know, Ellis is telling him, like, you can't waste your time thinking about what would have happened. You just got to get a tourniquet on it. Because while you're looking at everything you've lost, there's more going out the door. Yeah. 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 Um, But, yeah, and Ellis is one of my favorite characters, too. Speaking of dope uncles... I know that I just, real quick anecdote, one day my uncle Mark, who is the best uncle, he's my actual godfather, gave me a quarter of the same day that Shigur's was. No! And, yes, he said, and I was like, this is amazing, and he was like, I was like, what, what do I do? I was like, I'm so excited, and I went to like put it in my purse, and he goes, don't put it in your pocket. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I was like, Yay! He's amazing. I'll, I have a picture of it, too. I'll show it. I'll uh, post it to our Instagram. That's lovely. That's lovely. Put it anywhere, not in your pocket. I would have immediately spent that on a 40 of malt liquor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, towards the cost uh, of a 40. I know what it is. Right. I was like, costs. yeah, okay, maybe in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> no, in college, we used to go fishing through the couch for quarters because we could get, for 250 we could get a 40 of Old English because it was Brooklyn, so, you know, one cheap. But that was the cheapest thing we could get. That would get us right. the most fucked up, you know? Do y'all want to talk about Llewellyn some more? I mean, what's to say? He's he's hot. Um, he looks nice in a hospital gown. He um, <laughs> he only wears white socks, which is all, honestly a little bit red flaggy for me and a dude. Like, wait, why? Yes. Why would why does anyone own red so- white socks? Like, they don't stay white. The only use, the only usefulness is if you also wear white sneakers and you don't want right. it to be like you need to wear socks with them and you don't want there to be like a, you know, the pills con- around the edge contrast. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
So I get that. But, but even the, yeah, just mm. white socks. Like why? It, they're as pointless as a white bra. White bra? What? Who? Okay. Rachel. <laughs> I think Rachel is wearing white socks right now. She just threw her foot <laughs> up in the let's camera. Let's clarify. Let's Rachel is wearing a white sock that is actually <laughs> taupe. Rachel no, is wearing a taupe sock. One white sock and one black sock. <laughs> no, that white one, Ava, from our angle, that shit is like a nice, like, dusty kind of... disgusting. <laughs> There's a hole. In one of his really rare interviews with Cormac McCarthy... Um, Oprah asked him about not having very many women characters in his books, which he doesn't. Like, he, they're just not the main characters. Um, and he said that, and this is a quote, women are tough. Women are very mysterious. And then she said, still? You you still think women are mysterious? Three marriages later, women are mysterious. <laughs> and he was like, yep. I, got I, mean, I think that kind of. I was gonna say that bears out. Like, if they weren't yeah. mysterious, he probably would have wouldn't have had to do it three times. Oh, I know, but I just love that she was. I mean, like, he does not do interviews. I've only read two interviews with him ever, and I've looked, mm-hmm. and that was one of her questions. And I'm gonna link to that interview in the show notes because it is very fun. Like, he just you can tell he's like a good guy. Which is nice. Like, he hangs out with scientists and stuff, but... Do you know why he um, never does interviews? I think he he just, like, he values his privacy. Mm. Yeah. It just seems like he wants to write stories and not be... Fa- like, write books and not work a real job and not be famous and just do what he wants to do. So, speaking of women characters, Carla Jean is the GOAT. Yeah. She holds it down. I love her. And I love her interactions with Llewellyn, how they're so loving, and she trusts him, but she's, like, a little bit annoyed with him, but it's still really funny. Um, and I love also how she walks into her room, and Shagur is in there, and she just says, I knew this wasn't over. Mm. Like, I knew you would be here. And... He tries to make her call it. He's like, this is the best I can do. And she's like, no, I'm not going to call it. This is bullshit. Um, the coin coin ain't got no say. It's you. You act like it's the coin, but it's you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to play your stupid fucking game. I'm not going to play your stupid fucking game. <laughs> well, she does, yeah, right? And then he kills her. And she's like, I know you're going to do it or you're not. I'm not going to play this game and gamble for, literally gamble for my life. And I just love her for that. And I also love how she goes and talks with the sheriff and she does hold it together until she really believes that Llewellyn is in trouble and he barely misses him. Like, it's within a minute. Like, he sees the the people who murder him leave. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I I like the character. my ode to Carla Jean. Oh, yeah, listeners, I, I thought, I was so confused. I was like, why is she so much younger than him? And I was like, Asking in the outline, like, is this is this supposed to happen or Hollywood just do this? <laughs> and Mary Kay was like, well, they're supposed to be about 10 years apart. I'll look it up. Those actors are only eight years apart in age. I was like, she looks so young mm-hmm. compared to him. And Mary Kay rightly pointed out that like, they probably roughed Berlin up a bit. 
Cause yeah, was, he's a pretty boy in real life. This was a long time. This was, you know, this was over a decade ago now, so. They did basically, remember how, oh, maybe I didn't tell you all this, but the only time I found James Franco attractive is when he was in a Coen Brothers movie. Which one? Because he's such a pretty boy. Um, he, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, oh, that's such a good movie. Yeah. He was like, first time. <laughs> yeah. That was cute. <laughs> yeah, but same probably with Josh Brolin. He is like. Very heartthrobby. I definitely go for a more, I mean, on the screen, I go for a more, like, rough look. In real life, I mean, we've talked about how hot Chase is. We don't have to keep And so while we're talking about her, um, another yeah. moment, it's, it's not really about her. It's just what, before I forget the, the thing, um, the, about that juxtaposition between what's happening with Llewellyn versus what's happening with uh, sugar yeah i I, I, yeah. always when i see it written out i just think of like i'm gonna butcher it i'm gonna make it sound dumb um but, the, but i think that's the point is like it's a, a dumb name and it's hard to say yeah 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 and so when um when she walks in and she sees him and she's like i just got back from the funeral she goes i need to sit down and, you know she sits down and then this and you know because this man's about to kill her and then yeah. You compare that to when he gets hit by the car and the boys are trying to, like, in their kindness and innocence, are trying to help him. He's like, just let me sit here for a minute. Mm-hmm. That's all I want to say. Oh, yeah. That's a good catch. I didn't think about that. <laughs> I love seeing him with, like, his busted. I want to know how they did that. How did he get his eye look so busted looking? I don't know, but that freaked me out. Mm-hmm. To clarify on the name checker as well, because uh, like listeners, don't worry, we're not we're not like hating on an existing name in a language we just don't understand. Like Cormac McCarthy visited the set, and they asked him like, <clears throat> "So like, how'd you get like where'd you come the name?" And he was like, "Oh, I just thought it sounded cool." <laughs> I like it. That was the whole thing. Like he made up a name he sounded he thought sounded cool. So <sighs> just wanted to make sure that you know y'all know. Um, so I think we talked about the West and particularly West Texas a good bit, but it does seem like, um, this movie might be trying to say something about the idea of the West. Well, I think it's, I think it's just kind of what we've been talking about, that there's, there's, you have Llewellyn, who's just neutral, he's just doing his thing, and then there's some semblance of, of, of justice, of good to be held, and then there's just evil. And then how do you navigate within, like, both of those two realities? How do you navigate? And then you you come up with Llewellyn, a little bit, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's trying, like, you know, he loves his wife, but he's also, like, looking at other women. I mean, like, he's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. When we're talking about just like some points the movie is trying to make, um, I know that the reason that I probably quoted this movie when my apartment flooded was because I had just watched it in preparation to record this episode. But the other quote that I have actually thought about getting tattooed on me because it is just such a good mantra Ellis tells Ed Tom Bell, You never know what worse luck your bad luck has saved you from. Mm-hmm. Which is basically like be grateful for what you have, and don't go like 
turning up rocks because you'll find a snake. Like, you will make it worse if you want to. Yeah. Um, and I just, I mean, I know that we talked about the idea of fatalism, and that is probably a more powerful thesis of this movie, but um, that one really stuck with me, too. And I don't think they say it in the film. It's just in the book, and that is, that was the only criticism that I have about the script adaptation, which I think it was nominated for an Oscar as well. I don't know if it won, though. I think There Will Be Blood won. That mantra, is that the same as, like, saying um, the devil you know is is better than the devil you don't? I think so. Not quite. I feel like one expresses that um, if you only have bad options, pick the one you know how to navigate. While the other is expressing that um, even when things seem bad, it's better to kind of... It's better to kind of take a deep breath and keep moving anyway because it could have been worse in a way that you aren't even capable of imagining. Right. And it's already really bad. So, like, yeah. do you want that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes the bad relationship uh, means that you are in the right place at the right time for the right person. Sometimes the shit oh, job... I see. Sometimes the shit job is the thing that actually propelled you to the next opportunity that actually I is exciting see. for you, right? I see. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe yeah, you go through some shit. Sense. You go through some shit, but the alternative would have been worse. That is my only criticism of the adaptation from novel to screen, though, because it is almost shot for shot the same. Yeah. Like, really? It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I don't know if y'all remember in the very opening when Shigur is strangling that deputy mm-hmm. uh, with the... With his, his cuffs, yeah. With his handcuffs, yeah. I... This is how it's described in the book, okay? And you tell me if it's not exactly what you picture when you, like, okay. Um, the deputy was flailing wildly, and he'd begun to walk sideways over the floor in a circle, kicking over the wastebasket, kicking the chair across the room. He kicked shut the door, and he wrapped the throw rug in a wad about them. I just... Man, do you remember when they had all the scuff marks on the linoleum? Yeah. I think I would have enjoyed this more as a book. Like, I have, mm-hmm. I, still, I have not yet read the book. Once Mary Kay picked the movie, I was like, all right, rather than rushing to read the book, I'm going to take the movie as what it is. I can read the book yeah. afterward, right? And uh, as I was... It's basically just watching the movie in your head. Honestly, it's so right. close. Well, it, it's, it's, it's a story that has so much of an interior life. Yeah. That I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I feel like in a, in a book, this would be... I, I'd be, like, unable to stop... This is one that like I would stay up to read, and as a movie, there are times that I'm like, "Is it is it just me? Did I miss? Am I am I stupid? Am I too stupid for this movie?" <laughs> no, the book is very understated that way too. Like if you've read The Road, mm. it's not quite as minimalist as that, but it is a it is more showing than telling, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like um, the hunting scene is also almost shot for shot the same including the crosshairs yeah right like he picks up he glassed the horizon and then he puts it back down um yeah um one thing i think that they did really well in adapting it is the uh, the um using the reflections to indicate uh foil characters like Mm. first you see well it's llewellyn's trailer and then you see sugar and his silhouette in the TV when he's drinking the milk. And then Sheriff Ed Tom Bell sits in the exact same spot and you get the same shot, but with him. 
Um, Who are all these grown ass humans that can still drink milk? Me. (laughs) I drink milk every day. I love, look, it's not a question of like, I love milk. I can have maybe four ounces before I have Mm, ruined every rocket shit, ruined (laughs) every part of my insides. This story in its different formats of a movie and a book and the overall, just the overall story. If you really like this, the book or the movie, I would highly recommend one of the most underrated books I've ever read my entire life. It's called Easter Weekend by David Bottoms. I read it, Mary Kay, when you and I were in. <laughs> Bottoms. Um, I know. Um, it's, 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 it's very similar and it's very short. Um, uh, I remember, um, I forget his name, the, the professor. He did like, he was like the Flurry O'Connor guy. Um, I know who you're talking about. Bruce. Gentry. Bruce Gentry. Mm-hmm. Yes, Bruce Gentry. Yeah, the, the the camera work in this is always beautiful. The Coen Brothers do a great job of their camera work always. Like their movies are always very pretty to watch. It's just a question of how much of the movie connects with you. I read a lot of reviews mm-hmm. of this that that were out at the time because you know now that it's been out for some time and it has kind of figured out where it lands into the film landscape. Um, a lot of the reviews at the time, it, it was overwhelmingly well reviewed. But even folks who reviewed it well, a handful of them were like, it feels a little soulless. Like, I, I I, struggled to kind of, like, click in. And I was like, okay, maybe that's just me. Maybe my soul isn't good enough for the movie. Maybe I'm smart enough, but my soul isn't good enough to click into the movie. Um, because I didn't dislike it. There was nothing wrong. There was nothing bad. I just... I never... Yeah, I never quite made the jump myself. Um, and again, like, there were great... I can't point to the thing. I wish I could put my finger on it because they're great performances. Right. And, but even and, like there's like an attempt to have some kind of emotional depth with um, Tommy Lee Jones, like in the end, but you still don't get there. You still don't you didn't either. connect. And do you think maybe it's because like what Mary Kay was talking about, the um, interview that Cormac McCarthy did with Oprah, and he said, well, women are mysterious. Do you think that like, he just lacks that kind of depth that some women just tend to naturally be I, I don't know if it's a gender thing but I'm I'm relieved to know that you also <laughs> are like we can just be shallow trash people together Rachel <laughs> I'm as trash as they come honey let's do it let's just be let's just be foul-mouthed unladylike cheers to that um just shitty ass people who can't appreciate art click clink clack I don't know whatever we tried the toast, guys. It didn't work. Yeah. Um, are we ready to kind of wrap up? Yeah, let's close it down. So I have our closer question. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. What is the other scariest haircut for a scare- serial killer to have? Besides whatever's going on with sugar. So um, my thought was just like a full-on Shirley Temple. Okay. <laughs> just like real fat. There's like little chunky little corkscrews everywhere with like a little barrette on his bangs. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah. Like in The Strangers, kind of. Well, I was picturing that on Javier Bardem, and that's why it upset me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I found it. Oh, if we're picturing it on Javier Bardem. Okay. I mean, there are um, other haircuts, I guess, would be scarier other people. I just was thinking, like, how could I make Chigger more upsetting? It's got to be white dreadlocks. <laughs> 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 
That's the worst. The worst. Or, uh... Anyway, oh, Rachel's got her hand up. Okay, great. Okay. So, do you remember in Scary Movie 2... Okay, so the butler... <laughs> <laughs> it's like the villain in Dennis the Menace. Okay. So See? Look at his good hand. That's oh. his good hand. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is... That haircut is indeed... That hairstyle is indeed... Well, it's not just that it's long, but it's, like, receded, like, yeah, like very far whole, back. the whole hairline is so far back, and the hair is long. But where it is receded to is thick. Exactly. Like, That's it's not... what makes it disturbing. Yeah, it's not, like, male pattern baldness happening. Right. It's just, like, mm-hmm. a forehead that goes... It's like they goes... were in the Elizabethan era, yes! and they flipped it back yes. to the top of the headband line. That. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of another one, too. Ooh. Um, Teddy Perkins. Who's that? Oh my god. From Atlanta. That would be, that is accurate. Well, Teddy Perkins is actually scary, and he's meant to be scary. I know. I know. Yeah. You're right. That is a good, that, that's a great episode. I love that one. That is my favorite episode of Atlanta, followed closely by the one before it, starring Cat Williams, mm. whom I love. Mm. Um, and I recognize, like, all of this, like, the parts of East Atlanta that they were in. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so uh, should I tell everyone about what we're doing next? Bring it on. Yes, let's do it. Okay, so up next, we are discussing Michael Pierce's 2018 film Beast, starring Jesse Buckley from Chernobyl and Johnny Flynn, the musician. And in case you haven't heard of this independent film before, here's the synopsis. Do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? I'll do it. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. In a small island community, (laughs) a troubled young woman falls for a mysterious outsider who empowers her to escape her oppressive family. When he comes under suspicion for a series of murders, she defends him at all costs. Yeah, great work, Mary. Have you guys Um, seen it yet? I have seen it. It's a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. I, when you it, told me that and after I watched it, I was like, huh? So I'm really excited to get into this. Um, I mean, it's very loose. It's a very loose interpretation. Mm-hmm. And it's. I thought I thought it was really good and I'm excited to talk about it. Like, who it. is he um, in Beauty and the Beast? Is he is he the Beast or is he Gaston? He's Gaston, I mean, isn't he? I mean... We'll get into it. I wow, can't wait. Yeah. Could have said spoilers. Um, so, right. If y'all haven't seen it, you can watch it on Shudder, which I know most of our listeners probably have. Um, if not, I believe you can rent it on Amazon. I think it's $2. And since that movie is kind of a crossover where love escalates into horror, the comedian co-hosts of Campfire Media podcast, P.S. I Love Rom-Coms, Mia Schaffler and Allie Jennings will be joining us as our lovely guests. So y'all be sure to watch Beast and take some notes, and we'll talk to you then. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, bye. Hey, it's Mia. Hey, it's Allie. And we host the Rom-Com Review Podcast, P.S. I Love Rom-Com. Each week, we'll have incredible guests come and discuss a new rom-com, grand gestures, meet-cutes, and of course, that elusive chemistry. Mia, what are you doing holding that giant boombox over your head? I'm hoping to win over listeners with this grand gesture. Take us back! Find a new episode every week. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Brought to you by Campfire Media. Wow, you're uh, still holding that boombox. Yeah, I've got great upper body strength. Thanks, CrossFit. P.S. I love rom-coms.
Campfire.